Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. There is one thing that over 95% in the world or the people living in the world are looking forward to. They think about it, they dream about it, they fantasize it, and that's money. Because money is a great resource that can bring a lot of things in our life. But have you ever asked yourself, what is your relationship with money? Do you have any perspective or some sort of a taboo around money? What is money doing from you apart from getting you some resources, some luxuries, food on the table? What is a deeper meaning of money? And for that, today I have found you a renowned global expert. He's a speaker, he's an educator, he loves to help people out, but he's done much more than that. He founded a company called Abacus, which actually started consulting and managing financial assets worth 3 billion US dollars. But now he's changed his approach. He's looking at the interconnectedness of things. He's looking at how he can encourage you, who's the listener, to have better relationships with your finances, not just looking at some percentages or some statistical value, but actually aligning psychology and years of traditions, or let's call them philosophies coming from the Buddhist uh, origin. And he's here to talk about it. Everyone, please welcome Spencer Sherman to the show today. Spencer, mm. how are you? I'm feeling really excited. Really great to be here, CJ. Um, just, I think the world of money has, you know, like you said, you mentioned the word taboo and it's just, it's been kind of this neglected child. And I'm so glad that we're giving it uh, attention because it's a big part of our lives. So happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's one of those things I tell people is that this is the only planet that we know of at least which runs on money. So the energetic sequence of money on this planet is quite high. Mm. And, you know, I mentioned Buddhist psychology. Tell me, or how did you get into looking at money from an alternative side? Because most of the people, they're always looking at money from statistics, from math, compound mm. interest. How do you bring Buddhist psychology? Where did this all start? Yeah, well, you know, often in Buddhism, like the first noble truth of Buddhism is that there is dukkha, which is a Pali word for there is dissatisfaction, there is suffering. And often when we hit a roadblock in life, especially with our finances, we, okay, we have a wake up, right? And for me, there were several big wake ups. So there was a client who walked into my office and uh, said to me, look, if you can double my money, I'll be free. I'll be able to do anything with my life. I won't have to keep being this attorney because I hate being an attorney and I want freedom. So please, if you can double my money, that is going to bring me so much freedom. And this was one of the most exciting days in my life, CJ, because I felt like I had picked a profession where I could deliver freedom to someone. And I was on this mission to help him double his money. He was a good saver. The markets also cooperated. And 
four, four or five years later, he's walking into the office and I'm looking at his statement and his money has already doubled. And I can't believe it. I am like just thrilled. I'm like, hey, I want to let you guys know, he and his wife, that your money has doubled. You are now free. You've realized this intention that you came in with four or five years ago, and you can do whatever you want now. You're no longer dependent on money. And I am glowing. I'm radiating. And he's sitting there with this very despondent look on his face. He looks much more stressed today than he did five years ago to me. And I say, like, what's up? And he says to me, you know, we've been thinking about it and we realize that we actually need another doubling to really feel free. And it was like, wow, that was that turned out to be, you know, in some ways the worst day of my life. Mm -hmm. But also it 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 was a catalyst for me. It ignited me because it led me to realize that it's not so much about money. It's partly about that. But it's also about how we relate to it and this never enoughness that he was voicing, that he had this idea that when I when I get to this number, then I'll be free. And like, like it's so universal that when we arrive at that number, we just want a new number. I mean, we might see this in other areas of our lives, too. We say, oh, when, once I get to this level in the company, I'll be so happy. And as soon as we get there there's a new, there's a new level we want, you know, it, being vice president is not enough. Now we want to be CEO of the company or something. So that, that was, that had me turn into that skid, if you will, and really start to apply some of the emotional intelligence principles that I was learning from my mindfulness meditation practice and really see how can I help clients like this because there's there's something emotionally that's happening here because this person knows sort of intellectually that he that the number he has now is a, is way more than enough but somehow he's driven to keep wanting more and there's a lot of evidence for this that we just keep wanting we get used to a certain state of being and we just keep wanting more and more and more so it put me on a path to recognize that I have to offer more than just money to my clients. If I just double their money, what am I? I may not be impacting them very much, but if I can shift their relationship to money. And what happened with this client is we started working on this idea of enough. And that that's it happens to be um, one of my favorite words. I don't know how it translates exactly into other languages, mm -hmm. but the word in English for most of us has a little bit of a, a boring connotation, this idea of enough, but I think about enough in a, an exalted way. I think it's one of the, the most powerful places to be in this place of sufficiency, where you're okay with the way things are, where you're no longer always in this place of dissatisfaction, of needing things to be different, needing to keep doubling your income or changing your status at work. It's not like you don't have an intention intentions are fine, but you're no longer caught up that you're in the, that my happiness depends on a doubling of my money. The happiness depends on me getting this job or something mm -hmm. like that. That's a very, that's a state of incredible freedom. So I worked with these clients for many years. And one of the things that also really helped turn things around for them was generosity. 
that I always think of generosity as sort of the antidote to fear and scarcity. Um, I, one of my teachers says that generosity is the path to abundance, which mounts, might sound crazy, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of evidence for that, that when we're actually able to start letting go, when we are generous, we are telling our brains that we must have enough, that things must be okay. And we're kind of pivoting ourselves into a very healthy, joyous frame of mind. And we know that when we're in that healthy frame of mind, that zone in, in, in sports or, uh, or we're feeling happy, we're more productive at work. You know, our colleagues, our boss, everybody tends to like us more when we're feeling happy. So it's naturally going to lead us most likely to earning more money at work. It's going to more often that lead us to make wiser financial decisions. So through this generosity, they ended up with less money than they used to have, but feeling so much more abundant because they recognized that it was really about fear. Wow, that's so beautiful. It, yeah, it really had a very happy ending, the story of them being very generous and letting go of so much fear and finally coming to this place of ease with their finances. I love that. I love that, you know, you recognize through your clients And I think it's like a global issue with all of us humans that yeah. we always, as souls, we could say that we are either meat suits or we could say that we're a container of a beautiful soul that is always wanting to expand. And this expansion always brings in a physical manifestation so we're always looking to expand. You have enough money, like in your case, the client had enough money. He wants more. Someone in sports, they want more. We're always looking to expand because we always think their expansion in the physical domain will get us the happiness. And then the happiness has a rebound effect. You become happy for maybe a few hours and yes. then it goes back, right? There's a rebound yes. effect. But yes. I think yes. what you're bringing to the table is so interesting because you don't, right now I'm in Thailand and I see this in the streets all the time, even when I'm in other countries like Africa and Vietnam, they don't necessarily have the means, the resources, the money, the financial freedom. But if you see the happiness in their eyes or the contentment with anything that they have, sometimes they might not even have a limb in their body, but the contentment that you mm. see is far greater than what we see in developed societies or where we see people just, you know, having a straight face and going to work like it's going to be the worst day of their life, but while having everything. So I love that. And another thing that you brought up that caught my attention was this, this effect of not getting entangled into, you know, this whole cycle of getting the money and then holding it back. And, you know, you don't let in Hinduism, in fact, we have a very interesting concept, and I think Buddhism has the same, of detachment, mm -hmm. where you work towards something, but not so you can hold on for dear life. You Things come in, and everything happens in a cycle. So you things yeah. come in, you grab them for a while, you enjoy them, and then you let them go. So I love that you brought all of those concepts. Now... In your teachings or the way you have a unique perspective on money, are there any universal laws that, because, you know, 
everything in nature has certain laws. We love, as humans, we love to break them and we think they're, they're non-existent, but you know, we get to learn about the Dharma, about the laws. We ourselves, our bodies do respect some of these laws. So does money have any sort of a Dharma, any sort of a law? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful question, CJ. Yeah. I think, I mean, just starting with this enough principle is this possibility of recognizing that what you have today, that there's a way to frame it so that it's enough. Mm-hmm. Now, look, I'm not saying if you're like starving on the street, but I'm talking about everybody else who's, who's, who's got sort of the very basics in life. If you can find a way to frame it in your mind so that you have enough, you have enough money, you have enough status, you have enough uh, intelligence, creative abilities, you have enough time. I mean, we're all saying I'm out of, you know, I'm out of money, I'm out of time, I'm overly busy. I mean, what is that doing to our whole nervous system? It's putting us into that fight flight mode, into that, into that sympathetic nervous system instead of the parasympathetic nervous system where we're relaxed and at ease and our creativity is, 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 strongest. I mean, that's really what we want because our greatest earning potential, our greatest brain power, in some ways you could say comes from our creativity. So that developing this mindset of enough, I'm not saying this is easy, CJ, because we live in a world, especially in the West, Mm -hmm. it's a culture of not enoughness. Of I'm out of everything. And in that is, is an admission of scarcity. So if we can start to break that cycle even a little bit, just soften that allegiance to that idea that you don't have enough. You don't have enough uh, friends. You don't have enough of house. You don't have enough time or or um, enough of anything. If you can soften that a little bit and start to use gratitude. Gratitude is a very powerful practice that we all know about, but it's another thing to actually do it. Start appreciating all the stuff you have, the material stuff you have, all the friends you have, the time that you have, the health that you have, start to come from that place of gratitude and see what that does to how you show up at work tomorrow. See the difference in the quality of your being when you show up with that sense of fear and scarcity, which is what that idea does that if if I'm not in a place of enoughness, then I'm saying things like, I'll be okay when X happens, when I get that house, when I get that promotion, when I meet my partner, it's all future oriented. It's all coming from a place like I'm not okay as I am. And that just produces a sense of, of, of a future orientation and a sense of that I have, I'm living with scarcity today. So what I'm saying is have the intention to have to meet your 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 dream partner have the intention to have the house or the 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 promotion at work but find a way for everything you have to be enough right now in this moment as we're speaking uh on this on this talk find a that place of enoughness with who you are right now so that's one um I'll, shall I go, I'll go to the second one and then you, maybe Please. you can respond. Yeah. So the second one around money is to look at the evidence. And this is, this is a very exciting one to me, for me, CJ, because 
when it comes to investing, our brains go crazy. I mean, we just don't want to look at the evidence and see that when it comes to investing, you can be incredibly successful by following some very simple rules. But so many of us, and it's painful to see, and I've done it myself. I did it myself in my 20s. We want to take uh, outrageous risks with our money. We don't want to you know, turn $1,000 into $2,000 over the next 10 years or tw- or so. We want to double our money. That's too slow. <laughs> That's what people yeah. say. <laughs> or a week or a month or a year. And what I'm saying is when you start going for that aggressive investing, you know, when you look at doing it over your lifetime, there's just not a lot of good evidence for it, that this is an arena of your life, we'll say money, where you could you can rely on the evidence and do very well that, you know, if, if you can get your money to double every seven years, which is about a 10% return, that means your money quadruples in 14 years. It eightfolds in 21 years. That's a lot of growth. And that's from doing something very simple, like spreading your money into many different categories, put, not putting all your eggs in one basket. So being having a very diverse investment plan, for example, you know, that's one of the things that that I keep saying to everyone, don't don't put all your eggs in just that one basket. Don't have that that um, overconfidence that, you know, the future that you have this reliable crystal ball. And if you can accept that, not only will you tend to make more money, but you'll have a lot less stress doing it. So that's, you know, the second, I would say, rule of, of money is to look at the solid evidence. And when people were asking me, CJ, well, should I invest in cryptocurrencies? You know, I have nothing against cryptocurrencies. But my response was, wait until there's t- at least 20 years of evidence before you invest in cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Now, some people might say, well, you're going to miss this new huge opportunity. And I say, I'm OK with that. Because I want to wait to see the evidence that I can actually earn consistent returns from cryptocurrency over time. But there's plenty of other things that have at least several decades of evidence that you can invest in. And why not turn to those things? So that's what I'm going to say. And I see so many brilliant people trying to find that needle in the haystack, you know, find the next investment that's going to make them millions of dollars. And you know, there's this quote from Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He's a French uh, philosopher from, from the 19th century. And he said, patience is bitter, but it's its fruit is sweet. Patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. And I think that so much applies to life, but also to investing. So I'll say that's maybe the second one. I'll say a third one with money is to recognize that each of us, yourself, your business partners, your spouse, that we all have our bias. We all have beliefs mm-hmm. that were kind of cemented into the brain at when we were five, six, seven, eight years of age. And if you can become aware of your own bias, the bias of your spouse or your business partners, that can so much help you in having compassion for yourself, having compassion for others. Like, oh, my spouse overspends because that's that's their belief about spending that you should just spend the money before it disappears, you know, or your spouse always wants to save. They probably got that from when they were four or five or six years old. 
And that's an important thing to understand about others, about yourself. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, there are two quite, I mean, one comment and two questions. I love the fact that you brought up gratitude because mm. I think it's one of the most simplest things in the world, but it's one of the most overlooked things in the world. Yes. Having gratitude for, you know, having enough food, having shelter. And yes. if we take a step back, what I like to tell people is that having the gratitude for your life World Health Organization and some other organizations, they say that about 150,000 people die every day. That is six people per second. Mm. And these guys are not dying out of some, some of them were just walking on the street and they died or they just did not wake up every morning. And we look at this, if 150,000 people aren't really waking up the next morning, then even if you have five close people around you, then... Yeah about a million people lose someone every day. And if you wake mm -hmm. up next morning and you just look around you and you see that you're alive and you see the four or five more most important people to you are alive as well, this is already a big win, like to start your day. Just yes. to know the fact that, you know, life, you have this gift of life every day. And what happens is a lot of people, I look at things, a lot of people think that other people die and, you know, they have this immortality. We always look at people and say that, oh, yeah, you know, someone dies somewhere and you never know it could be you. So every day you have been bestowed upon this gift of life and not to, like you said, not to live in the future moment because you're missing out the blessings right now. You might you might be yes. able to build that good relationship with your colleague or with your friend, which you've are probably ignoring right now because you're too future driven and you're only thinking that if I sacrifice this relationship or this time or this effort right now is going to give me something greater in the future. But having, I like to also say this, is that having happiness, peace, joy, all of these things are internal factors. They're not dependent on the external environment. The yes. only thing that is dependent on the external environment, if their surroundings, the times, the market is success. So your air success actually doesn't, de it depends on so many other factors which you don't really have control over. But there's yeah. one thing that you have control over, which is your feelings and your emotions. So if you are joyful in this moment itself, the fact that, you know, you mentioned before that you can be in this parasympathetic state and you can have higher creativity and you're just a nicer person. So yeah. people love being around nicer people and people like promoting nicer people and people even trust people who are much more joyful in the moment because they know that they are not dominant by fear or some of these other things. And the rules around money as well, like, thank you for sharing it. It's, it's, it's beautiful. My question to you is if someone, let's say my partner, like my business partner has mm. a, some kind of a bias around money. And this bias, I now look at it, I recognize it, and I see that this bias is probably not going to be helping us out in the future. Yeah. Is there, should per myself or person X, should the person talk to them? Should they go to them with some sort of an evidence that, hey, I've noticed this, I might be wrong, but here are a few facts that have happened in the past. Is there something that we could do like what's your approach to this like yeah yeah i think this is great um so ultimately i want to suggest a courageous money conversation 
which mm-hmm. I think is so can be so powerful. But before we do that conversation with that person, what's what's important is to do some inner work first on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I might do, let's say your business partner is always wanting to expand. And he's very aggressive in terms of wanting to expand the business. And a lot of his ideas have not gone anywhere. And it's, you know, it's led to a lot of stress, losing money, let's say. The first thing is to is to understand maybe the roots of his need for expansion. There's something there that's driving him to want to keep expanding, even though he's gotten a lot of evidence that it hasn't worked, he keeps going for it. So to have compassion, to recognize that he probably learned something, maybe you can have a conversation about, hey, let's share our money histories together from childhood. That might be, it's, it's an incredibly intimate and connected thing to do with someone. What was it like growing up in your family, family around money? What were the beliefs that you inherited from your parents, your grandparents? That is, that's powerful to connect with someone like that. And through that, what's important is to start feeling some compassion for your business partner. Once you're no longer feeling resentful and you're more feeling compassion, then you can start what I call a, a, a courageous money conversation. And in that conversation, I think, yes, I think it can be very helpful. You don't necessarily have to do this. Sometimes just through feeling more compassion for your business partner, his behavior may change because he might have been feeling your resistance to expanding the company and suddenly you're more compassionate about towards him in that something might sort of subconsciously change in him. Mm-hmm. But let's put that aside for the moment. Having a courageous money conversation is a way of breaking that money taboo and a way of really healing things uh, because often we just avoid the money topic. So what I suggest is starting that courageous money conversation with a positive intention, something like, hi, I, I you know, let's have it. I will first plan the conversation, have it at a time when neither of you are rushed and then say, you know, hi, my intention here is that our business flourish. I want you to be successful. I want me to be successful. I want both of us. I want the business. I want our clients to be successful is put forth a, uh, an intention that validates everybody. Well, especially you and your partner, especially, you know, that, that this person knows you're coming from a good place mm-hmm. and then say, you know, I'm concerned about some of, um, some of what's happened, some of our, you know, we've been going into take, you know, trying to expand the business and it hasn't worked. And I'm wondering how you feel about it. So you notice I didn't blame him. I just said, I noticed that we've, we've, we've started some new ventures. They haven't worked. I'm wondering how you feel about it and see if, if he can own any of it, see if anything Mm -hmm. comes up. The other thing that's very helpful is if you can appreciate something about this person, like, you know, I really appreciate that you are so expansion minded because I tend to be more fear-based and you're more expansion based and I love it. And I'm also a little concerned about that there's checks and balances on our business. And I want to be able to sleep at night too. And I'm wondering if we could figure out a way for both of us to get our goals and needs met. So I'm sort of coming from this larger perspective. Here's one other idea that you could try that 
might help um, is to say, hey, let's imagine there, there's, there are two business partners and they're identical to the two of us. And they're having this kind of challenge of one wants to just expand, expand, expand. The other one wants to like keep things slow and steady and moderate. How would you advise them? Mm-hmm. If you were going to advise them, what would, how would you tell them to solve their dilemma? And you, and you were, if you were hired as this independent consultant, how would you solve their dilemma? You know, and see what that person says. And hopefully that will, that often has brought on the, the wisdom, the objectivity of that person who was biased towards expansion. Um, so those are some ideas for getting this conversation going and I've seen great results come from them. And it's it's not without, it doesn't have zero risk. There is some risk that it can't be upsetting depending on the way it's handled. And if it gets to a place where it feels kind of messy, you can always say, hey, what if we take a pause right now, come back to this tomorrow or in a week, or we get a neutral person to help facilitate us. You can always do that as well. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's quite powerful, especially... Um taking a zoom out view and stepping yes. outside your shoe and being in a neutral place. I think that's great. Uh, we also, along this conversation, we spoke about uh, some emotions which are not really good. Could be fear, could be, um, you know, things like uh, judgment, fear, shame, all of these negative-ish conver- uh, emotions. Why do people have this these kind of emotions when they want to talk about money like you know you could talk about how you went out last night and it was great and maybe how many people you met and that's never a strange conversation to have but every time something comes around money there is this there is this more people like most people describe it as as an invisible force that's holding them back and a force that for most people will not allow them to fully express themselves, like be yeah. in the moment. So why do you think that happens? Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, yeah. So this is, I think this is a huge, it's been a huge one for me. This has been my work um, from my childhood is that it's, we tie money into our sense of survival, our sense of self-worth, that you know, my net worth is actually equal. So we think, we believe on some level, even subconsciously, that our net worth signals or equals our self-worth. Mm-hmm. Or so much of identity is tied in with money. And when you have that strong identity tied in with something that's the basis in some ways in our culture for survival, you know, it, it, we go into that reptilian brain we go into that fight flight mode and around money so often we freeze. We don't, you know, it's like, I don't want to share how much money I have because if I have less than you, it, it makes me really inferior. Mm -hmm. And if I have more than you, then I'm at risk of you invading what I have. And it's kind of very primitive, but it's so tied in with our self-esteem, our identity, our sense of survival that it produces very easily these feelings of shame, these feelings of anxiety, these feelings of fear. Because if if I go to the store and here's where our brains get distorted, 
is we go to the store and we're buying, you know, apples at the store and they've doubled in price. You know, that in itself is not going to shock our finances, but the idea that it doubled in price can, we can, it can send a shockwave to the, to the brain. We can interpret that as my life is on the line Mm -hmm. and our brains are very good at creating stories and often going to negative places. So on a feeling level, it can feel like, like my well-being is at stake with these apples doubling in price. And we can go into that fear. You know, we lose a, you know, we lose a job or something and we can go into that place of fear of, well, I just lost my job. And what if this also happens and this happens and this happens and it just becomes overwhelming. And then we have this um, agreement in our culture where you can't talk about money in most cultures. So that makes it even extra hard. So you talked about shame. I mean, shame is something that can only exist in the privacy of our minds, really. When we start to talk about our situation, shame starts to evaporate, especially when we hear from others that they're wrestling with the same challenges, you know, that they also have credit card debt or they also are struggling or, or you know, feeling like they don't earn enough money or haven't saved enough money. Suddenly that shame starts to dissipate. So we have to start undoing this, this, this um, unfortunate agreement that we've sort of all made around not being able to talk about money. And I also want to say that it's not always appropriate to talk about money. So I, you know, I often talk about finding people who are willing to have a more conscious relationship or conversation with you around money. Mm-hmm. I love the, I love the self-worth versus uh, net worth thing that you yeah. mentioned. It's now when I look at it, I think it's one of the most easiest ways to describe this, that most often we always feel that our self-worth is always dependent on our net worth, especially when you're, you know, when you have friends from different backgrounds and different jobs and you see what they're doing and maybe you're moving into a new city. We we tend to compare ourselves so Mm -hmm. much, right? And I tell rich people and and less rich people. I don't like to say, use the word poor people, but I like, you know, you know, uh, people with a lot of financial resources and people with less financial resources, but maybe they have other resources. Maybe they have spiritual resources Mm -hmm. that your self-worth is infinitely greater than your net worth. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you have no money or you have billions of dollars. The problem with having lots of money is you become very dependent on that money and you identify with it and it limits it limits your sense your, of the self-worth. Mm-hmm. So for all of us, we need to start seeing that our self-worth is so much greater. Nobody would trade their money for, for uh, a, a significant health challenge, for example. We all value our vitality way more than money when it really comes down to it. And we need to start... Sh- really feeling into how um, how valuable our essence is, our presence is, our brain is, as you were saying, that all these things, our heart and compa- our you know, ability to feel for others, connect with others, those things have so much more value than our money could ever have. 
So do people who have more resources, the rich people, do they have better health than the people who are not that resourceful? Is there a um, trend that you see? Sometimes I would say at the extremes. I mean, I think people who have who really are struggling with, you know, getting food together um, or shelter together. Yeah, sometimes you see differences in health. But you also see, I mean, I see a tremendous amount of anxiety amount around people who have a lot a rich material life. That mm -hmm. they're managing two, three, four homes, which sounds great on the surface, but it can also add a lot to one's anxiety. And they just tend to have complicated lives. They're managing all these businesses and properties. Uh, and everybody wants something from them. Mm -hmm. And all of that can bring on a lot of stress. And there's a lot of comparison going on in the mind. And, you know, that comparing mind is very painful, very painful, and really reduces our joy. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, as you climb up the ladder, if you don't have it in check, that comparing mind only gets worse. Mm -hmm. the, you, 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 you've been depending on it all along and you, you keep seeing people who have more than you. And you keep thinking, there's a part of the brain that keeps thinking like, oh, well, someday when I have that, then I'll be okay. Like we were talking about earlier. And you're only, when you say that to yourself, you're training your brain to be okay in the future. So then you have a brain that is never at rest right now. And that, that leaves you missing so much of the joy in life. If you can't just rest in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's funny how we are always comparing ourselves. So you said yeah. earlier that one way to stop this comparison or at least help a person out is by identifying that he or she or they, they're enough within themselves right now. And that yes. can cut off a little bit of the mental chatter. Are there any other ways or techniques that you have to, like for a person who's listening to the show and the person finds themselves comparing themselves to a lot of people, what else would you tell them? Yeah, so it's not the, the easiest thing to do, but a lot of things in life that end up waking us up or um, helping us grow are not necessarily um, easy, right? Or, or, or fun things to do. So I'm going to say something that's going to sound very counterintuitive, but when you notice somebody who's got a larger home than you, or seems more successful, better job, they have more money, a nicer car, instead of staying in that place of envy and that place of, oh, I wish I had that. I want to invite you to try on wishing that person even more success than they already have. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of what our brains tell us to do. We, we say, well, can't, can't that person have a little less and me have a little bit more? I hope, I hope something bad happens to them or something, or, you know, I hope something good happens to me. I want you to just wish that person even more success. May they flourish. May they be happy forever. That has been one of the most powerful practices I have ever done. I did it with a friend of mine who was having way more success in his life than my life. And every time he called me, it was so painful. And I started taking on this practice. It's actually, I borrowed this practice from Buddhism. There's a practice called sympathetic joy, where mm -hmm. you're wishing wellness to others to the point where you're able to 
to feel joy when they feel joy. Mm-hmm. You know, be joyful at the at the with the another person's success. And that completely changed my relationship with this friend, but it also changed my relationship with success in general. I think, in fact, I became more successful because I decreased the envy in my life because envy is like wearing a heavy backpack. It's a real burden if we go through life saying, oh, that person has more than me. That person has a better this than me or more of this than me. It's it doesn't. It doesn't enlighten us. It doesn't move us forward. Though that kind of those, those trains of thought. So try this out. I I it took me doing this every day for about six weeks to actually see some movement because I mm-hmm. think I was so wedded to this idea of feeling um, feeling this um, this envy, this comparing mind. Yes, yeah, it's, it's good because. Um... Even energetically, what happens is when you have, or let's say vibrationally, when you have higher realms of vibration, which is love, joy, peace, wishing well for others, and then you have lower ones, shame, anger, yes. and you know comparison and all of those things. When you're too much in the lower realms of vibration, then it's like having a heavy backpack and going for swimming. Of course, you might be able to swim, but it's just going to be harder. It's going to be taxing, and it's not going to go on for a very long time. And I love this thing where you're actually in a lot of the yogic teachings, they say that your ability to actually, because right now we look at our hands and our legs and everything, and this is our boundary of personal space. But if you can extend this boundary onto the world and there are meditation practices for that and yogic practices, but if you can extend that, then everything that you see and everything that you encounter, your friend in that case, it becomes a part of you. And mm-hmm. this is how when you can experience the love, the joy, or the happiness, or the success for others, it becomes, in quantum physics, it's also called, in a way, quantum entanglement. So you entangle these two objects, and then they're circulating all the time. So it's a cycle that keeps on going on. You give more love and respect and feelings of happiness and those feelings like everything in life is on a cycle so they turn back and they come to you and maybe it takes a little bit of time but then once it comes is the same is the same thing as um i had this question for you as well every time we let's say for example you go out to a restaurant and probably you had to pay a little bit more than you expected and then you have a little bit of maybe guilt or anger while you're giving that money but if you look at the energetics of money and the energetics of this cycle, then every time you give something and you give something with happiness and with peace, and you actually Mm -hmm. thank the money for going into this whole economic cycle, and then probably is just like the cycle is going to come back to you with that same sort of unhappiness. But if you are projecting emotions of, ah, I shouldn't have paid so much. Why does my money go away? Why is this happening? And then money as an energy wouldn't want to come to you because you're you're not like really joyful just like another person if you're always angry at a person if you're always blaming a person yeah person is not going to come back to you so yeah yeah, so this is what i think as well i want to cover one more thing with you which goes above sometimes can go above money it's this whole concept of abundance what's your take on abundance is abundance only limited to money or the car or the house? 
or what's your take on it? Yeah, my take on abundance is that it's it's full spectrum. It includes everything. It's like this abundance of vitality, of creativity, of um, of compassion in our hearts, of, of sense of humor, of insight, and we can have so abundance in many many dimensions. And unfortunately, we think so much of, of that word abundance with the material world. But there's so much more to it. I mean, that's just one sliver of, of to me, of the whole spectrum of that word abundance. And that, you know, I think often when we're abundant in all these other qualities like joy and all these things, as you were saying earlier, it often leads to more money. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's coming from um, a place where where it's sustainable um, and and that we're we're receiving all these good feelings in the process. So to me, focusing on what brings you joy, what brings you warm heartedness, what brings you um, creativity in your life, those qualities in general will lead to a much more fulfilling and reward financially rewarding life in general. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we're nearly coming to the end of the show. And thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and expertise and wisdom with us. Uh, my final question to you is, if you had a time machine, and let's say you could go back in time and you could meet your younger self, and you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Mm. Okay, I might have to give two things, but um, let's Go for see. it, you can give two things. Okay. Uh, I think the mind is going to try to trick you and say that this next purchase, this next car, this next house, this next, you know, thingamajig that you buy is going to give you lasting happiness and just know that it won't just go in. It might give you some jolt of happiness. It might be functional in your life. It might make your life easier in some way, but to, to find the happiness in here and not search for it on the internet or in stuff. And the second one is is four letters. It's U-P-O-D, which stands for under promise, over deliver. Mm -hmm. I wish I could tell my younger self, under promise, over deliver. Tell everyone that you're going to get there by six o'clock and show up at 530 or 545. Tell everybody that you're going to you're going to create margins for your company of of 15% and then deliver 18% margins. Uh, you know, tell some, tell your, tell your client that it's going to take you a week to get back to them and get back to them in two days. That under promising over delivering, not only does it produce less stress for you because you've given yourself much more bandwidth now, but everybody else is going to love you because so much of life is like expectations. Mm-hmm. And if you tell someone, you know, I'm going to have dinner ready by six and it's and it's not ready by six, you're going to get some disappointed looks. Tell people it's going to be ready by 615 and then get it get it on the table by 605 or something. You know, it's like, see if you can keep because this is what you have control over, right, is what you tell people you're going to deliver. So under promise over deliver, I'd say. And so those are two. I I have several more, but 
I think those are um, two things that I would love to tell my younger self because I wasn't very good at either one. I kept I mm -hmm. bought I bought things thinking I'd get eternal <clears throat> happiness, and I didn't underpromise, overdeliver. Um, and I think I have a bunch of um, other stuff. I, I have a bunch of free webs uh, resources on my website, CJ. Oh, please, I can be amazing. What's my, your website? I have a link for that. It's <laughs> Spencer Sherman dot com forward slash free spencer dash sherman dot com forward slash free and you'll find a whole set of free resources including ideas on what i should have told my younger self well that's amazing thank you so much for sharing that and thank you so yeah. much for your generosity of yeah. uh, making those free things available we'll put that on the show notes so people can see and we'll put it on all of our social media channels spencer I have had a great conversation. I've got to learn so much from you. Thank you so much for all the good work that you're doing, um, especially around the world, in the world of making people realize things which are already true and uh, things that people haven't realized yet. But I'm sure with you being around the world and teaching us how to, it'll make their life journey much easier. Thank you for all the things that you've done into your life and all the personal growth that you've achieved that now you're sharing with us. Um, so I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for today. And um, everyone else, this is me, CJ, your host, signing out from the Shift with CJ podcast. Everyone, have a great day, a great week, a great lifetime. See you guys later. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.